Good morning, beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? It is great to worship our great God with you again this morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, Thanks for being the church and bringing it into this place. We love worshiping God together with you. Hey, I told you last week, the early service, we got the good stuff last week. Uh, If you were here, you saw that not only did people join in the early and late services, but we had all of the adult baptisms, all the people who came to Christ and uh, who had not been baptized were baptized in this early service. Well, this morning we're back to normal. You get nothing. You get nothing and like it. All right. Uh, Well, actually, hopefully we'll get a lot of good stuff. But this morning, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see a list of people who will be joining who couldn't join last week. And they're all choosing the 1045 slackers. And so, uh, um, but I want you to look at those names and just make sure uh, that you, if you're somebody you recognize, especially that you would uh, um, greet them and welcome to the family. Okay. Uh, secondly, I want you to know, why do most people come to church? Why do people, I mean, not people who don't always go to church, but why do new people come to church? Does anybody know why? They're invited. The number one thing, they're invited. So coming up, Holy Week's coming up, and we have all these opportunities for you to invite others. We have movie night, uh, great opportunity, very, very easy, come hang out with us. Uh, we also have uh, Monday, Thursday, we have Easter services, so People think of church around Easter time, so don't lose that opportunity. Uh, make sure that you invite folks uh, coming up in these next couple of weeks. It's a great time to really see God work powerfully in our midst. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16 as we continue our sermon series uh, through this part of Genesis. We're looking at the life of Abram, uh, who we know as Abraham. Uh, God is going to change his name. He often does that when he does amazing work in men and women. They will have names changed as well. We'll see Abram and Sarah, Sarai become Abraham and uh, Sarah as reflects what God is doing in their life. Maybe you know the story. The story is told of a little boy who was captivated by a caterpillar, uh, knew the story of what happens to caterpillars, how they go through the most amazing metamorphosis, do they not? That those little furry things that are crawling on the ground, uh, they will eventually get in a cocoon or a chrysalis and become a, they were a caterpillar, they become a butterfly. It's all right, Linda, no one heard you, really, it's fine. So it's very good. No, no worries. So that's exactly what happened. This little boy loved the idea of this, so he gathered a caterpillar, had a really good uh, place for it to live and fed it and, and uh, had twigs and sticks in there and couldn't believe the day finally came where the caterpillar started making the chrysalis, the cocoon. And, and then it seems like weeks. I mean, the weeks to months. It wasn't months, but it seemed a really long time for it to emerge. And so finally there was movement and shaking. And finally there'd be a little, a little piece of, of, of the butterfly starting to, to get out. And, and really the little boy was so anxious to see the butterfly. And he agonized over what seemed to be the agony of what the butterfly was going through. How difficult it was. So wanting to help, uh, wanting to be resourceful, uh, he went, he got scissors, uh, and he cut a little top of the cocoon on the top. He cut a little bit on the bottom just to help out. If you heard the story. Well, if you know the story, you know what happens. Uh, part of the process of this incredible God of ours to have a caterpillar through the metamorphosis become a butterfly and be able to do things like fly, it needs to struggle. It needs to go through that and break out of the cocoon on itself. And what the little boy was doing was really amazingly harmful. 
And as it emerged, it emerged with wings that were not developed in a misshaped body and it never would fly. And so what he tried to do was help, uh, but what he really wound up doing is harming. Sometimes helping hurts. Sometimes helping hurts, even when it's with good intentions. This boy didn't mean to, you know, do anything wrong. Uh, He tried to help, but even with good intentions, it hurts. Let me tell you this. This is a point of this morning. You can't miss this. You can get it early on. Helping always hurts when we're trying to help God out. And we stop walking by faith and we start walking by sight. As we pick up the story of Abraham or Abram this morning, we'll see how Sarai, uh, a woman who has been barren, uh, though there are great promises, tries to help God out, uh, tries to help bring God's uh, promises to fruition. If you were here last week, don't forget, God took Abram out into this really barren area and he had him look up into the sky and he said, you see all those stars? Those are going to be, your descendants coming from you eventually are going to be more than those stars. How do you think Sarai felt when Abram came back in saying, we're going to have more descendants in the stars of the earth, the stars of the sky? How do you think she felt? How do you think she felt every time maybe that Abram looked at her? You know, in that society, who'd they blame? The woman? Uh, she, she was scorned. And so what is she going to do? She's going to try to help God out. She's probably at an age where she's passing childbearing ages. And so she takes matters in her own hands. Have you ever done that? All right, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 16, but I want to do uh, something different before we begin. We're going to read Genesis 16 in a couple of, uh, I need a couple of qualifiers, a couple of little footnotes about this. So first of all, You're about ready to hear, as I read, some of the most dysfunctional behavior in the Bible. Do you know that Abraham, we call him our father? Uh, We saw last week he was a man of great faith. As an old man uh, with a withering body, uh, God says you're going to have more descendants in the stars. He believed. Incredible faith. And yet we're going to see dysfunction. Dysfunction all over the place. As a matter of fact... You'll maybe want to take a shower after reading this this passage, thinking, oh my gosh, these people are an absolute mess, every single one of them. And you know what? They are. Here's the interesting thing. Dysfunction in families usually gets repeated. You know that, right? You know that those who grow up in abusive homes often become abusers. Those who are sinned against uh, uh, become great sinners oftentimes. And if we're linked to Abram, and we are, we're linked and we call him our fa- family, our father, Abraham. This is our spiritual family. So here's the point. This story has to be heard. It has to be uh, embraced because this is our family. And we got to make sure that the dysfunction in the family, we are not repeating. We need to be vigilant. One last thing about this. As I read the scriptures today, we're going to look at chapter 16, pick up right where we left off. Uh, I'm going to pray now and then read scripture. It's my habit to read scripture and then pray. I'm going to tell you why. Scripture should stand for itself. Scripture is God's word. Um, We need to read it and put ourselves under that authority. And then I pray. And I ask, as, as I have the privilege of unpacking that and preaching that to you, and you know what I always say, God, what's from me, let it fall away. What's of you may stick, right? Well, I'm going to give you a running commentary as I read this, because this story has such twists and turns that you don't want to miss. And so for those of you, this might be a little bit aggravating because you just want to hear the God's word and set it apart and don't let the preacher talk. But I don't feel like I could do that this morning. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray first, and I'm going to ask God to direct my, my words now, because I'm going to be adding them to Scripture. And what's helpful, well, I'm going to ask him to have stick, and what's not, fall away. Everybody there? All right, let's pray. Father God, I love the fact that you tell the truth about your family. And you don't try to hide the good, the bad, and the ugly. You let us see their, their dysfunction. God, you let us be amazed at how they could go from heroes of the faith to zeros in the faith. And God, through all of that, it's so wonderful to see that you aren't marred. That somehow associating with your sinful people actually makes you even more beautiful and even more gracious and even more loving and even more glorious. And it makes us love your son, Jesus, who came to rescue us even more absolutely beautifully marvelous and wonderful. So God, I pray that you come with your Holy Spirit and come and and God, uh, that you would speak to us through your word, through my words of preaching the word. God, I'm humbled with this opportunity. And at the same time, Lord, I, I just acknowledge, I acknowledge my frailty. I acknowledge that I, I see dimly and I need you. And so God, would you come and would you be our teacher? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us minds to understand? Would you give us hearts to believe? And we give us feet to walk in faithfulness and obedience. What is merely my opinion or wrong, may that fall away. But what is true, what contains the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife. Right away, Moses wants us to know this is Sarai and wants us to have a clear picture of who she is. Because it could get confusing here. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, she had borne him no children. Okay, there's a problem. She had a female Egyptian, keyword, Egypt, servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Let's just hit pause there. Already the story sounds icky. You have one who's called a wife who now proposes a servant to have children. It is icky. But we have to see that this is not unusual in an ancient Near Eastern setting. As a matter of fact, to make sure you have this, this often happened. It happened actually with Jacob, who becomes Israel, and and Rachel, and uh, um, uh, Leah, and they're maidservants. Uh, oftentimes, the family is built up this way. It's not God's best plan, but it was allowed. Um, so she's thinking, okay, I have no children, so here, take my maidservant. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram, uh, the husband, uh, her husband and wife. Again, wants to stress husband and wife. Okay, those of you who are really astute to God's word and listening, if you read through this clearly, what is really being repeated is Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis. This is the same exact verbiage of Adam and Eve have now with Abram and Sarai. Interesting. Both Adam and Abram listened to the voice of their wives in a way that would lead them astray. 
both wives took and gave uh, them to their husbands, prospective husbands. Verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she, Hagar, looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. The verbiage there is really graphic in the Hebrew. I will not tell you. And when she saw that, uh, when she saw that she had conceived, she, Hagar, looked on me with contempt. Hagar now is really giving Sarai a hard time. She's gone from maidservant to wife and pregnant. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant's in your power. You do it with her, whatever you want to do. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. I want to show you a really cool passage. We're not done. Just put your finger there, or bulletin, and turn to Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 21. I'm going to read 21 through 23. Incredible passage here of telling what God is, uh, disdains, uh, what he blesses. In 21, under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes a king, and a fool when he's filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. This is what's happening here. Interesting, isn't it? Let's go back to the story. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, which by the way, our geography, we wouldn't know this, but she's heading back to Egypt. Know that that's in the mind, her mind. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, wants to make sure she knows her place. Where have you come from and where are you going? Okay, this is the most amazing thing too. In all of ancient Near Eastern literature, not just the Bible, but in all of ancient Near Eastern literature, never has God or a deity called a woman by her name. And here he does. It's pretty cool. God calls her by name. An Egyptian. One who seems to be on the outside. There's something even more astounding. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, by the way, we'll come back and come back to that and we'll explain what that means. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, how would you like this describing your son? Behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He should be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She calls him, you are my God of seeing. Or you're the God who sees me. For she says, said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Now, here's another amazing thing. This is the only person in all of the scripture who ever names God. God is the one who reveals his name to us. He reveals who he is. And yet, through Hagar, 
the one he calls by name, is the one who is the only one who calls God a name that he embraces himself. And Hagar bore, bore Abram a son. This was his son by right as his maidservant. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. I'm sorry, when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. Father, please make clear what seems to be an amazing mess. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline. The first of those three points is this. Meddling with God's promise. Meddling with God's promise. After 10 years of God's promise not coming to fruition, not having a seed, not having an heir, not being fulfilled, Sarai and Abram decide, let's take matters into our own hands. What do you think the 10-year delay would have been like for them? How long have you ever waited for a promise of God? How long has your heart ever been set on something? And day after day, month after month, year after year. I mean, we want to sometimes go right to judgment with them. But you've got to understand, 10 years have passed. This woman is feeling like, I can't do it anymore. Well, God's promised it, so it must be coming to action. Let's do the plan ourselves. You see, I don't think that the plan in and of itself was evil. I think that they really had faith in God that he was going to provide a child. But God had specifically said, right through you, Abram. Sarai might have thought, well, it didn't say through me. But whatever has, that delay was excruciating. And so she took matters in her own hands. Here's what it says. Sarai has a problem. It says it right in verse 1. What was her problem? She was barren. But she also has a solution in, in, in one. Hagar, an Egyptian slave. Here's, again, the nuances and the beauty of God's word. Basically, what they're doing all over again is they're running back to Egypt. When God promised a land to them, but the land had famine, where did they go? Egypt. When God promised a seed to them, a seed that would be a blessing, where do they go? In a sense, Egypt. And the people who are originally reading this or hearing this were those who just left Egypt. They got released from slavery. They're wandering in the desert. And where do they keep saying they want to go back to? Egypt. Everything that went wrong, they always said, man, we got, let's go back. I mean, what's this manna stuff we're eating? I mean, are we going to be just like die of thirst out here? I mean, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. In the flesh, that's always our desire. Figure it out ourselves. Try to live like a slave instead of like a son and head back to Egypt. Amazingly, did you see what, who Sarai blamed for her problems? She blamed God. She basically say this. She says, in her eyes, God was at fault. She sees, and ironically, this is a passage where seeing is very important. You have God who sees the ones who are afflicted, the God who truly sees. But here's what Sarai sees. She sees God not as a promise-keeping God, but a promise-blocking God. She sees God as a problem. God doesn't let me have kids. So let's go around him, this promise-breaking, blocking God. Who else does Sarai blame? Blames Abram. Verse 5, I can't believe you. I gave her into your embrace, and now you've had a child. Her scheme works. I mean, basically, here's the point. 
Hagar's scheme works, and now that it works, she blames everybody else. Can you relate to that? Here's what we also got to see. So important. Do you know that the fruit of our sin never produces what we long for? Let me say it again. (laughs) Our schemes and what they produce will never give us the life that we long for. Only Christ Jesus can do that. And here, here she is trying to do it on her own, but it'll never satisfy now Hagar, now, now the problem that she really starts, Hagar's pr- uh, pregnant and she's no longer feeling like a slave. She's feeling like a wife. And you're right for this. She's got contempt on Sarai. And the Hebrew wants to make it clear she's afflicting Sarai. I mean, she, she's basically acting like what the Bible would say Egyptians do to God's people. They afflict them. She's saying, I'm the beloved one. I'm the one. She mocked her. She made life miserable. She sinned against Sarai. So what does Sarai do? Sin against Hagar. It's a mess. Again, when there was a famine in the land, they went to Egypt. When there's barrenness in his wife, he goes into an Egyptian. This would be very clear to the original reading audience. Don't go back. Let's make this practical for you and me. God calls us to walk by faith, not by sight. Sarah and Abraham had walked by faith for a good long time, but they're weary of it. We all get weary of it. And they're saying, now let's scheme so we can walk by sight. But here's what we can never do, my brothers and sisters. We can never let circumstances or feelings dictate our actions. We can never let our circumstances around us change how we should walk by faith or our, our feelings. Let me be a little bit more clear on that. Sometimes our circumstances are such we will have a famine. Famine in our lives, poverty or whatever. It never gives us permission to go back to Egypt. No matter what in God's promises that seem to be barren. And I've heard it said so many times this, that this feels so right. It must be right. I've heard it from many Orangewood people. <laughs> I usually hear it this way. God wants us happy. My wife doesn't make me happy. This woman makes me so happy. I'm finally happy with this person. I, all that I've longed for. I married the wrong one. But I finally found the embrace with the one that I really love. It's great. I know that God is in this because he wouldn't have given this to me if I wasn't. And God is in this. I wouldn't feel so good about this if God was in this. And here's what we've done. We've taken our circumstances and we've taken our feelings and we basically say God must align himself up with what we're doing. It's never right. Listen, trusting our hearts is a very dangerous thing. Scripture wants to tell us that our hearts are so prone to wander. Our hearts on our own are are evil. Every intention of our hearts on our own is evil. What we trust, trust God. Trust his word. Here's one thing about God. God is, it's a, a theological word, let me give it to you. God is immutable. Being immutable means this, is God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God can't change in his character. He can't change in his being. And he can't change in his actions. Here's what it means to us. God is always good and God is always in control. Now, most of the circumstances in our life will ask us, is really God good? That little girl, Bethany, that I've been praying for, the 11-year-old girl, they, they called this weekend and said that pray for her on Friday. She should be with Jesus at any moment. I haven't heard yet. 
But I really believe that she's with Jesus. I think they probably had an excruciating weekend saying goodbye to their 11-year-old daughter. God is either good or he is, uh, is he good and in control with situations like Bethany? And situations in your life, in my life. I mean, how many things do we look at and say, is he really on the throne? Is he really good? And what we do is we let the circumstances define God. And we let our emotions define God. And, and we, we see dimly. What we need to do is come to God and say, God, I'm walking by faith. You're the sovereign Lord of the universe. You hold all things in your, your hands. You see clearly. I see dimly. Why in the world would you let Bethany pass away at 11? I don't know. But I do know that Jesus went to prepare a place for her. And I do know he's calling us to walk by faith. And I do know that he says, I'm never going to change. Here's the point for you and me. There's not going to be a situation in your life. Listen, there's never going to be a situation in your life where God is going to change for you. He can't. He's God. So, so if you think, well, God doesn't mind me living with my girlfriend. God doesn't mind premarital sex. I mean, God doesn't mind this kind of marriage. God doesn't mind this type of lifestyle because he just, I got this thing with God. You're wrong. You're being, you're being deceived. God's got to be God and God's ways are God's ways. And we just can't scheme around them. And Austin says this, one of my, one of my real pet peeves, God helps those who help themselves. That's like some of the worst theology ever, ever. It's basically saying, if you do your part, God's going to do his part. Let me tell you, our part is filthy rags. And our part is, I mean, we're, we're dead without him. And the only hope we have is that he'll be merciful. And the beautiful thing about this story is God helps everybody in the story. And, and none of them are helping themselves. Except for selfishness in the flesh. If God waited to help those who would help themselves, he would never move. And then the reality is, is God is never a partner in crime with us. I mean, he helps those who help themselves. I mean, he can't partner with our schemes. We have to walk to him and walk by faith. Where are you meddling in God's promises? The second thing is this, returning to the source of God's promise. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I read this. It's a little off-putting what God tells Hagar, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you can't read this and not be a little bit like, what? What? <coughs> you see Hagar, and why, why, why again is she fleeting? Because she's being persecuted. Because she's being treated poorly. And what does God say? Go back and submit yourself to your mistress. Let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This never means... That if you're in a relationship with an abusive person, both either husband or wife, I've seen both, that God is telling you, go back and submit. I mean, somehow we would see this and we think, well, it's God's will for me to be beaten senseless by my spouse or my boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. If you are in an abusive relationship, get out of it. Get help. If there's someone close to you who's, who's, who, who's be- beating you physically, verbally, uh, sexually, and you're being abused, get help. And separate yourself from that person until they do. Until they get help. And, and come to us. And, and this is not saying, okay, women, you're, you, you, you know, you married the guy. Just, you might as well, you know, take the blows. 
This is something amazingly different. And the only way we understand what this looks like is we understand the bigger story of Abram. What did God say to Abram? Remember in Genesis chapter 12, he basically says this. He says, Abram, you are going to be the epicenter, the fulcrum through all the blessings of God are going to come through. And he's basically saying this. This is the bottom line of Abram. Through you will come a seed and this seed will make all things right. And this seed will eventually lead to Jesus. And he is your only hope. It says, it says, Abram, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. So far we have in Hagar cursing Sarai, cursing incense Abram and going away. She's outside the promises, the blessings. She's heading to Egypt. And God is graciously saying, don't go to Egypt. You don't go there. You, you come back to the promises. You come back to the source of where God is blessing. And basically he's saying, to us that we could see through the New Testament lens, you don't ever leave Jesus. I mean, you don't ever leave the one who's the source, the seed, the hope. I see it this way with people too. The church is filled with people like you and me, dysfunctional, messed up. And if I haven't disappointed you yet, give me time, I will. I will. I mean, you have wanted something. You wanted me to say something more, do something different. I'm going to disappoint you. But I'm going to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ, this, this, not just this church. The church is a place of God's blessing. It's a place of his sacraments. It's, it's a place where God's spirit is dwelling. It's this place. We need to be together. Don't, don't go off to Egypt. Don't go on your own. I mean, yeah, there's dysfunction. But we're his. How about you? Where are you going to try to find God's blessing? Are you going anywhere apart from Jesus? Do you know how many times we live our lives? It's so funny. We, we walk, instead of by faith, we walk by sight. We walk by sight the direction we want to go, and then we start praying, God, get over here. Get over here. Come on over here. Come over here and bring blessing over here. Bless this over here. You know, when the Lord's prayer comes, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what he's asking us to do? He's asking us to bow before him and say, what's your will? Seriously, let's be honest. How much of your prayers, how much of my prayers are begging God to get on our page? <laughs> get into our life, our page, our agenda, and then everything will be great. And he's saying, are you kidding me? You're going off to Egypt again. And here's how crazy we are. We run to Egypt and we ask him to bless us every step of the way. We need to repent. And we really do. I mean, we got, we're just so foolish. We just meddle with the promises. And we forget the source of the promises. And I think oftentimes we want a, a God who's, a, who's like a, a magic genie God. Wouldn't that be great? I say that tongue in cheek. What if you had a magic genie God? The one that you like, you picked up a lamp and you rubbed it in the right way and poof, he pops out and you get three free wishes. What would you wish for? You know what we love about that God? He shows up when we want him to and he's never, he's, he's back at him. He's in, a, he's in a little lantern when we don't need him. He's on our mantle. We only have God when we need him. And when we have God, he appears, guess what we have? We have a God who submits to us. Who's God in that equation, by the way? We are. And we make God in our own image. God help us. We make God in our own image. 
and yet we're made in his image. We see dimly, yet we want to have God come ahead of us and bless us. Well, bless over here, this is really important to me. Folks, this is walking by faith, and we have this great privilege of doing it. And I think the only way we can do it is can we trust a God who calls us to walk by faith? Is he, is he a really good father, like we sang? Is he a really a tender savior, like we believe? Can we really trust God? But I'll tell you what, if you don't trust God, you're never going to walk by faith. And it's hard to trust God. Let's be honest. It's hard to trust a God who, who doesn't guarantee our personal safety. Who, who doesn't guarantee that, that, that we're not going to have issues. Can we trust a God who our kids aren't even safe to the world's issues? Yes. He's good and he's in control. We can't let our circumstances or our, our, our attitudes tell us who he is. Where are you trying to find God's blessing? You know, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the, I see some young folks in here. Let me just tell you, the world's going to tell you you can find God blessings in many wrong places. <laughs> and you'll never find them apart from him. You'll never find them. He, don't put yourself in a situation that he can't bless. We do that over and over again. We get into these crazy relationships. We get into these crazy situations. And we ask, plead with God to bless them. Lastly, marveling in the grace of God's promise. Everybody in this passage not only sins, but they're sinned against. They not only sinned against, they sin, they sin, sinned against. I mean, every single one of them, every single one of them acts horribly. Let me, if you missed it, let me point it out for you. Abram fails his wife. He fails his wife because he doesn't provide Sarai godly leadership. He completely follows her into her scheme. And he shouldn't have listened to her. Now, here's the cool thing I got to tell you. Women, you got to hear this. Write this down. Genesis 21, 12. Because it is a time where God tells Abram to listen to his wife. The point is, don't listen to your wife. (laughs) The point is, don't listen to her when she's leading you astray. And you got this perfect example of Adam and Abram both doing the same thing. The verbiage, don't you love God's word? I don't even know where you are in your journey. You got to love God's word. That the story, he's going to use the exact same Hebrew to talk about Adam and Eve and their sin and Abram and Sarai and their sin. I mean, we, we repeat these things. Abram basically goes back to Egypt. I, mean, I love the fact it's, it's, it's the same thing. He went to Egypt when the land was barren. He, he lives, goes to Egypt when his wife is barren. Abram doesn't step in to help Hagar. He now has a child in that womb. And here's what he tells his wife. Hey, nothing's changed. She's, she's still your servant. Go, go beat the stew out of her if you like. It's fine. Have at her. Isn't that noble? I mean, his response is basically saying, she's still your servant. She's in your hands. Go, go ahead and do what you want to do. What a godly man that was, huh? Sarai. Sarai schemes and blames everybody else. <laughs> it's her plan. Comes to fruition. And yet everybody else is at fault. She gives her husband to her maidservant and then wants to kick the dog, kick Hagar. She starts abusing her. She's abusive. Yes, she was sinned against. Hagar. This is a little bit tough, but Hagar is a maidservant in this story. 
Her position wasn't supposed to change. She's not the one the promise was supposed to come through. When God talks to her, he calls her by name. How amazingly tender he called her by name. But what does he say after he calls her by name? By the way, maidservant of Sarai, that's where you are. And your promises aren't coming through you. It's not my plan. And yet when she gets pregnant, she has contempt for her mistress. I mean, she, she mistreats her. So what does God do? He decides to bless them all. <laughs> what does God do? He blesses them all. What does God do? Unbelievably, he blesses them all. I mean, the story could end and God got a huge stick and whacked their fannies for 30 minutes apiece. I mean, he could have done that, but no, he says, let me just bless. You know what, Hagar, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless this man. He's going to be a donkey of a man and everybody's going to be against him, but man, he's going to have a multitude. And, and not only that, but I'm not going to let my promises fail. He had compassion on Hagar. You know, I think that the whole thing is here. Listen, no matter what you go through, this is so important. No matter what you go through, if you really believe that God sees you, you'll be okay. I mean, don't you, don't, don't you just, isn't it just, isn't hell on earth thinking that God doesn't see you? Isn't hell on earth thinking that you're forgotten? I mean, isn't hell on earth that you're in the wilderness and there's no God there? I mean, the amazing thing about God is he hangs out in the wilderness, <laughs> The angel of the Lord always seems to be in these weird places. And the beautiful point of this is God sees you. And that should just bring you the greatest joy. That not only does he see you, he longs to bless you. God's love is seen in every single one of them. And it's amazing. most amazing part of the story in all stories of the Bible is the amazing grace that God has for you and me, sinful people. How is it with you? Are you marveling at the grace of God in your life? Marveling that he loves a sinner like you? I gotta tell you the truth. If you don't sometimes sit and wonder about the grace of God in your life, the tears in your eyes, you have no idea who you are. If you don't sometimes sit and just absolutely be overwhelmed of the love that God has for you that's seen in Christ Jesus, if that doesn't stir your soul, you have no idea who you are. Because somehow you think you deserve God's love or somehow you don't think you're that bad and somehow you're thinking you're, you're worthy of loving. No, it's not true. We're, we're, we're by nature children of wrath. By nature sons and daughters of darkness. By nature we are a mess. But by God's sheer grace, he loves. For God so loved you and me that he would give his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's love. That's grace. God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were sinners, Christ sent his son Jesus to die. If you don't marvel in the grace of God, you don't know God and you don't know yourself. But if you, by God's grace, can see yourself rightly and see the God who sees you, you can't help but sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that would love a sinner like me. Are you meddling in the promises of God? Return to the source of promise, Jesus. And are you marveling in the grace of God? Let us pray. Father, what an absolute mess of a story. And yet again, 
when we ask you to come and open up your word, we see what a beauty of a God. That you really do make all things beautiful. That you really do take our brokenness and our junk. And your grace and your love shines brightly through them. God, I pray. I pray for the one who's meddling in the promise of God. Trying so hard to scheme to get blessing. Give them grace and teach them to walk by faith. And God, I I pray for the one who's not returning to the promise, the source of the promise, Jesus, and not clinging to that cross to try to out there in the wilderness find life, heading back to Egypt. God, bring him back. Bring him back to that source of promise so that we could all be a people who marvel, marvel at the grace of God for sinners like us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.